So how was it? This experience? Uh-huh. It starts off and it, I mean, it was incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. And uh, just had to breathe through it. Mm -hmm. And then it just, it's just so powerful that it kind of takes you away from whatever's on your mind for a moment or two. Yeah. Just kind of clears you out briefly. Yeah. Um, you can't really think about much else for the first few seconds, but you adapt to it pretty quickly. Yeah. Warrior medicine. That's what they do before they go on a hunt. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like health claims or benefits. They say that it's supposed to burn away your negative energy because it's so painful, all these other things. I'm personally not so buying to any of those things, but I do like the clarity, the peace of my experience momentarily after the, um, whatever you call it, the drops, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> because it forced me to be in my body. It's so intense, similar to Hape, and which we would do in a moment mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming up all the way here to uh, Pacific Palisades. I'm excited to do this with you. Um, the premise of this, as I share with you during our conversation, is to really to understand what really defines you as a man. Because you are someone that immediately I said, all right, this guy is grounded, he's balanced. Yeah. Right? I walk up to you and I actually told you something to the point of, um, <clears throat> well, well, I commented on how ridiculously good looking you are. <laughs> but right away, it's the presence of mine, right? And how beautiful you and your wife um, harmonize with each other's energy. And it's, it's evident to someone like me and like an outsider looking in. So I'm curious from your perspective, before we go into more on the relationship stuff, I'm curious to know about um, what are some of the moments in your life that really define you as a person? And, and, and what, was there a defining moment that you realized that you're a man? Hmm. So for most of my adolescence and a young adult life, my definition of what it meant to be a man um, had to do with athletic ability, you know, ability to make money, ability to pick up women. Mm. Um, a lot of that was programming. And uh, I really just ate that all up. And my entire sense of masculinity was based on, you know, everything it was all coming from somewhere else it was not coming from within mm. so uh what i did as i as i got into my early 20s was i went out and got all of the things that i thought i should get you know i went and got the, the high paying job and i went and made the money and i would go out and get the get the women that was my focus i would get the women um and i did that for a long time i did that for 10 years and it wasn't until I was in my early to mid thirties where I, I, I stepped out of that life and started this multi-year process of deprogramming. And um, <clears throat> I'm about three and a half years into it now and only recently 
have I felt like I've stepped back into my masculinity in a healthy way. Mm. So I would say only within the last couple of years have I really defined myself as a man. I think if I look back on what I thought was being a man for, for all of that time, I was really trapped in this boy mentality. Mm. Um, and I think much of the country is trapped in that boy mentality. The things we associate with being a man mm. are, are attached to boyhood. So what's really, you know, the way I define it now and what makes me feel like I am a man now is my ability to be present um, and my ability to, to hold that for extended periods of time. I, and I experienced this with my partner and I experienced this with other men as well. Um, I'm very much in touch with all the lightness and the darkness within me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would associate darkness or, or anger with masculinity. Um, and I've been able to feel into that and, and dig into that within myself and kind of uproot it. But, um, you know, so I have that fire, that fierceness, but I'm, I'm quite careful about how I'm moving back into it. And that's still a process for me at this time. Um, so part of what keeps me in that present place and keeps me grounded is, is that attachment to nature, that ability to meditate, the ability to stay somewhat disciplined. Um, and really it's, it's just that conscious presence at all times. Was there a moment though? <clears throat> Cause you said that you did it for 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Being that boyhood, chasing the money, chasing the woman, chasing the toys, all that stuff that using your words, conditioning our society tell us that we should want. <clears throat> then you walking away from that. Was there a moment or was there a series of moments? Was there, was, was there one moment where you said, hmm, not exactly what I was looking for? Well, the, what, what led me to that change, mm-hmm. the catalyst for that, um, I was snowboarding. So for me at the time, my only source of any kind of spiritual activity was in snowboarding. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was it for me. Mm-hmm. And I was 34 years old and I found myself up in Alaska and they have uh, snowboarding in Alaska. Yeah, it was helicopter snowboarding up there. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was like, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had been doing it for a few years by that point. I, I went. I started when I was thirty, and I, I gave it to myself as as a thirtieth birthday gift. I said, "You'll go up for a week. Mm. And you'll go snowboarding in Alaska out of a helicopter." And and after that, I was hooked. Mm. Um, so I've, I've probably gone a dozen times since then. Uh, so I was on that trip. And I had a moment where I skied the steepest, gnarliest slope that I've ever skied skied in my life. Um, I snowboarded down this narrow spine, and I was in a no-fall zone. Mm. So, what does that mean? No-fall. If you fall to one side of the spine or the other, you're dropping Mm. thirty feet minimum. Um, Got it. And your chances of getting incredibly, you know, badly injured or or, um, of dying are are reasonably high. Mm. Um, And it was at that moment that I felt that I had tapped into something or touched something that was Mm. new territory for me. Mm. Um, To figure, so literally you were at the edge of your life. 
Yeah, that was the closest to the edge that I had been. Yeah. Absolutely. And then while I was up there, so that, so that had happened early in the week, and it was yeah. it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. And then later in the week, um, my guide on that trip, uh, he he was guiding our group of four skiers, snowboarders. Uh, he and I had some late night talks, and he at the time was living out of the back of his truck. Mm. Uh, he was a ski guy during the winter, and he was living off of a sailboat in the Caribbean during the summers, uh, catching fish and trading them for water or whatever else he needed. And then he had created a, a great lifestyle for himself. And he <coughs> had a couple late night conversations, and he basically looked at me and and said, listen, I know I just met you, but you don't seem incredibly happy with wow. you know, your current career, your current life. Uh, and he basically gave me permission to walk away. Mm. And nobody had ever done that before. And mm. even though I had How just, did he do that? Um, he told me that I did not have to live the life I was living. Mm. That I could create whatever life I wanted for myself. And he was a great example of that. Mm. And there were some other people that I had connected with on that trip who had done the same. Mm. Um, and uh, I left Alaska, came back to New York with a lot to think about. Within, within a month's time, I had decided that something wasn't right. And I had decided to quit my job mm. and take a break and figure some things out. I had no idea where it would lead me. Mm. You were inspired and took action. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So that was at one defining moment, and then it happens, you say, three years ago? Yeah, that was uh, three and a half years ago. Oh, wow. Any other defining moments since? I mean, I, oh. I mean, there's a lot I can ask there, but I wanted to, you to kind of finish a thought there. Yeah, I, so... I left my job in June of 2015, mm -hmm. and I spent all of July um, in a beach house I had already rented, so I still stayed around New York. Mm. Uh, and so really, I didn't leave that lifestyle until early August of that year, and three or four weeks later, I went to Burning Man for the first time. Mm. And it was there that I first stepped outside of myself. I felt like I was shedding a skin, shedding a, self, a side of myself that I had created a false self, I suppose you could say. Mm. And it was a, a, a version of myself that could operate incredibly well in the environment I had adapted to. You were very skilled at it. I was highly skilled. Yeah. I had the personality for it. Yeah. And I was also incredibly self-focused. Mm. Um, and in that world, that, go, that can go a long way. Oh, for sure. I wasn't distracted by family. Um, you know, as I had been focused for so long, you know, for 15 years, and, and you know, making as much money I could in any, any given year. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I had really, like, let go of a little piece of that at Burning Man, and I encountered all these people who were living different lives, different types of lives. Mm -hmm. I had been in my bubble for so long. Mm -hmm. So that really opened things up and, and created this small separation. And while I was there, I met somebody who is a musician. He's mm. based in Newport Beach. Mm. Uh, and he and I ended up going for a walk. And 
I had said, I remember I said to him at the time, so you're into this consciousness thing, like, tell me what that's about. Mm. And he kind of looked at me and he's like, we need, we're going to need some time. Yeah. <laughs> and he sat me down. <laughs> yeah, he said, this is, this is going to take a while. And he had a, a, a woman he had met that he had been, he had been spending time with and he, and he ran over to her and said, I'm going to be gone for a bit. Yeah. And he and I sat down for about an hour, an hour and a half and he shared with me some of his experiences with with plant medicine and and some of the other work he was doing through mm-hmm. meditation and uh we we talked about some of the reasons behind it and over the course of an hour an hour and a half we had dropped in so deeply we connected so deeply we were both you know crying and really just like sitting there in the middle of the dust, in the middle of nowhere, face to face, having this discussion. And at that time I made What a beautiful it, setting, by the way. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. I was wearing a uh, really, it was, it was cold that year at Burning Man and I was wearing a um, warm, fuzzy rubber duck bathrobe that a friend of mine had given me. <laughs> So I'm sitting there in my bathrobe and he's sitting across from me and we're just sitting there, they're kind of, you know, crying in front of each other. And when we finish up, this woman comes up to us and she said, I've been watching you guys for a while and I love your robe. (laughs) You guys are amazing. Um, So it was, it was perfect in so many ways. Mm. And uh, I said to him, you know, when are you going back down? He had talked to me about the sanctuary he had been to in Peru where he had participated in a Wachuma ceremony, and mm-hmm. he described that in detail. And I said, when are you going back to this place? He said, I'm going back in October, and I'm, I'm spending a week um, with ayahuasca and a week with Wachuma. And he had never participated in an <coughs> ayahuasca ceremony before. So I said to him, I'll join you. And I, I don't think he fully trusted that I would, but within a week of my arrival home, I had booked a flight to... Uh, to Peru. Amazing. A man of action. Indeed. Yeah. One of my mentors said, uh, speed to implementation, speed up implementation is the determinant between someone who is successful and someone who is not. Hmm. Obviously a oversimplification, but it's a really good indicator. Someone who has an inspiration, boom, take action. Or someone's like, oh, Twitter is his or her thumbs, like thinking about it for years and years. Big difference. Absolutely. So I really acknowledge you for being that man of action. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so you mentioned that you shed a layer of yourself during that Burning Man time, right? So. I'm curious to know, like, what do you use as an internal indicator to yourself? What's the real you versus the false self? Mm. And if you can be as concrete as possible, that would be really helpful for people that are listening to, to, uh, to this conversation. So, the, so identifying the false self is easy. Oh, yeah? How so? For me. Because, and, and to step back into what I was sharing earlier, it wasn't until I sat in my first plant medicine ceremony that I really saw that as a separate separation from who I really was. Mm. But I, I grew up in a small, well, in a reasonably small blue-collar town in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. The majority of the people I grew up with, you know, are making... Thirty to forty thousand dollars a year, 
I think the median income's under 30,000. Uh, most people who grew up in that environment don't aspire to be millionaires working in the financial sector. So for me to, to sit back and, and look at all these different things I was pursuing and then ask myself, why would I ever have wanted that? Mm. given where I grew up and the values that were taught to me and the values that my parents had. My parents, you know, weren't very much attached to money or materialism in any way. So it was very easy to see that this was, a lot of that was programming and, and it was very easy to see where it came from. Uh, at the time I was growing up, you know, in the late 90s or early 2000s, the, when I had been thinking about these things, there's so much of a focus on materialism and money in this country. I used to listen to a lot of gangster rap <laughs> when I was a teenager, <laughs> right? And the whole thing was like, get money, get girls, get the nice car, you know, right. accumulate all this stuff, accumulate wealth. Consume, consume, consume. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, a, it was it's, I, I feel like we peaked with that feeling of consumerism in this culture. Yeah, but you think so? Sometimes I think so, but then like I walked down Abbot Kinney in Venice when I was visiting LA and I'm like, oh, this definitely feels like consumerism is alive and well here. Mm. Um, but there's part of me that feels like, like we did peak at some point, you know, probably around the same time that borrowing peaked. Mm. You know, people were kind of borrowing to turn around and, and, and buy nicer cars or bigger houses so that they could create this image that, that never really existed. And, um, for a lot of the people who did that, they, they learned a painful lesson. Mm. So, you know, I, I look back on the things I pursued and that I associated with being masculine and with being successful, and it's very easy to see how I kind of got caught up in what was going on in the world around me. So that false self, you know, that for me, that's been fairly easy to identify. As far as the true self, so let's pause on that for a second. Sure. So the, the tool that you use is a self-reflection question. Like, why do I want what I want? And you kind of just chase that question all the way up to the source. And then you, as a way to discern, is this, is this really what I want, right? Is that how you, how you did it? I mean, I don't want to yeah. put words in your mouth, but that's what I hear. For me, it's really kind of, and I, and I can experiences through meditation I see. and some of the other modalities I do where I really sit down and I ask myself where, where it's coming from, you know, mm. the decisions I'm making, the actions I'm taking, where are these really coming from, are these really coming from you? And when I move very deep into it, and there have been times where I've tricked myself, where I've said, well, I really want to do this, and then I'll, and then I'll move into a place where I'm Digging around, <clears throat> digging around into my past, into my childhood, mm -hmm. um, trying to identify the inner child and say, hey, is this what you really want? And for all you know, that inner child might be my mother in disguise. Mm. You know, I might be listening to her, her values. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and it t for me, it's, it's self-reflection, but I'd say it's a little bit even deeper than that, um, in that... I really have to tune in with myself, and I have to do that regularly. Mm. You know, when I so so it's, it's not a one-time thing. You just sit with it. It's a regular thing. Yeah, it's a regular. Thing. I mean, it's almost 
almost every day at some point with what I'm doing, I'm checking in. Mm. And it's really easy when I have a consistent meditation practice in place mm. um, or when I have a lot of flexibility and I'm near nature, mm. you know, where I can go hiking or go mountain biking or something else. I feel like I'm tuning in very easily there. When I'm back in New York City, a friend of mine gave me the advice to check in with yourself every time you're in the shower. Mm. Every morning in the shower, check in with yourself, which which helps, but I need to have a regular meditation practice when I'm back home. So it's something that I'm feeling into more. Mm. And for me, what's helped has been, as I've tapped into the divine feminine more and tapped into my emotions and suppressed desires and my intuition Mm. and been able to feel into what's right. Mm. Beautiful. So you're about to say, regarding your authentic self, your true self. I interrupted. Yeah, what I what I keep coming back to, you know, I'm still I'm still in the process here. Mm-hmm. What I've kept coming back to as far as my authentic self is, you know, I'm operating from a greater place of integrity. It feels like every day. And as I've gotten I'm thirty seven years old, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've gotten a much much clearer idea of what feels good to me and what doesn't. Mm. Um, I've been been more deliberate with who I'm spending my time with, who Mm. I'm dropping in with. Mm. Um, Thank you for being here, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) If if I don't feel inspired, I'm not taking the time. Yeah. And I found that when I spend time with with friends or with acquaintances or people I've just met, um, it's such a it's a richer experience when I'm when I'm more cognizant of of how valuable my, my time can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I operate from that that greater place of integrity in, in, in that way and many other ways in the way I treat people in the way I treat strangers on a day to day basis in the way in the way I look for the good in everybody in the way I look for a source of truth in people who trigger me whether mm-hmm. I know them well or not whatever it may be um, but what I also keep coming back to and I find this when I'm in deep meditation when I'm um, in plant medicine ceremonies or I'm, when I'm having other psychedelic experiences is this deep desire to um, help and heal other people. Mm. Um, and I mentioned earlier that I'm still in my process. Mm. I'm trying to find the most impactful way to do that. Yeah, thank you for your opening yourself up that way um, and sharing so generously. I appreciate that. And uh, it's one of those things that I believe human beings just as a whole want to do that. If you ask any little kid, hey, what do you want to do when I grow up? I want to help people, right? And in the medicine space, meditation space, psychedelics, or whatever it may be, it's a very uh, just beautiful space for people to experience that, the way of being, right? The space of beingness that we all want. <clears throat> However, you know, I, I believe the masculine 
energy also want to do things not just being that we're all one you know infinite possibilities and you know so so to concretize that desire to something tangible that's the work right that that is the tricky part because <laughs> you can have as much intention and desire that you want but ultimately from my perspective action speaks louder than words right we have limited time we have limited resources we have limited you know um you know monetary you know all that <clears throat> how do we spend it that's going to ultimately be the interpreter of your values hmm. right so um so that's something that i always i want to press people on and myself actually first and foremost like how do how do i spend my mental energy my physical energy my monetary energy to reflect the value that i that i um that i hold dear to to me first and foremost and uh, i'm curious to know your thoughts like how like where are you regarding interpreting that desire to concretizing that to all the talents all the you know beautiful gifts and blessing that you've been given to action to daily disciplines um to actions to help others and whatever maybe help healing others so it's absolutely been a process mm-hmm. if you had asked me earlier this spring April May time frame i i had been helping a friend launch a venture capital fund that's what had brought me back to new york in the first place mm-hmm. and i knew very early on that I was out of alignment with that mm. but this was also a friendship of <clears throat> 14 years so I I stood behind stood next to him and and helped him get the money raised and get it closed and once that was done um I made the decision to move on and I had been very much focused on being a personal coach life coach mm. uh the thought being that I would have this ability to this angle where I could connect with the people from my old community i connect mm-hmm. connect with people in the financial sector mm-hmm. a lot of people who i knew who were working on the corporate side wherever else mm-hmm. um where some of the modalities that have worked for me be it meditation some of the physical moda- modalities um just the ability to kind of tune in and 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 um really feel into yourself mm-hmm. it was something that i could teach other people mm-hmm. and i stepped into that mode almost immediately as mm-hmm. i thought about what i was doing i was like well i'll create the website and i'll market it this way and this mm-hmm. is how i'll acquire clients and it was all action based mm-hmm. but what i realize now especially is i i needed to give myself the time and space mm-hmm. to have a sense of what I really wanted to create. Mm. So I found myself shifting back and forth where there was this masculine force who mm. was like let's go out and do this. Mm. And and today you know and in this particularly in the community that I I spend time in in New York which is a lot of people in the tech sector, people are rewarded for action first. Right. Um the iterate kind of find your way Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. Right. Go out, test, iterate, right, see right. what works and right. then, you know, go down that path if it's if it's working. And right. for me, 
I, I did that. Um, mm. I connected with some, uh, I, I connected with a small group of people, friends from the financial sector and acquaintances and let them know what, about my offering and tested into it. Mm. And met with everybody individually and got some feedback from them and, and, re and learned an incredible amount. Um, and then I was left with all the, these data Mm. You know, this is not. This is working. This is not working. This language will not work mm. as well. If th these are the people you want to connect with, if I say, you know, I'm I'm creating, I'm using embodiment practices for a spiritual opening, um, somebody in the financial sector, it's not going to resonate with them. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. But if I say I'm doing performance-based coaching, mm. um, they'll they'll listen. And uh, I really needed to kind of take everything I learned and then take a step back and really think again about what it was I wanted to do. So if anything, for me and my experience, I had to move back into my feminine a little mm. bit more to think about what it is that I'm actually creating mm. um, and what's really working. And I, and I needed, it, it actually was uncomfortable to pull back mm. from that desire to just get out and start working with people right away. Right. Um, so, so, you know, that, and, and I feel like I've learned an incredible amount over, you know, the last month or so while I've been traveling, you know, since Burning Man, where I can start feeling that build mm. inside of me. And it like comes from like right here, like right at the solar plexus, really. Um, and it's this idea that, okay, we'll get back and, you know, you'll put your disciplines back into place and you will... Um, you'll build your website, you'll start directing some money toward it, you'll start uh, iterating with people again, you'll reach out to a wider group of contacts, you'll pitch yourself differently, you'll change your language. Mm. Um, there's this force kind of building behind it and it's like I have the awareness of that, mm. but I'm still trying to maintain an openness to learning more and I feel like that's a constant, you know, that, that's a little bit of a, um, it's kind of oscillating between the masculine and feminine, yeah. like oscillating between that like purpose-driven, action-driven, decisiveness, yeah. and like the creativity and like kind of being open, yeah. letting things flow. Yeah. And for me, you know, I've been living out of a van for the last five months, five weeks with my partner, so it's very easy to to stay in that flow. Yeah, and yet I do feel that pull, yeah. you know. Yeah, I know it's a. We're mixing an analogy all over the place, but to me it's very much like a dance, right? The yin and the yang is always dancing. And I don't know if you have any dancing experience before partner dancing. <clears throat> I used to salsa dance. <clears throat> so a good lead is not someone who is always forcing the partner. A good lead is, uh, and also a good follower is there's that tension, a healthy tension between the two. And then you can then feel each other's, where each other's going, and that's kind of how you create magic together. Right, it's very much the masculine and feminine energy within each and every one of us. The 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 intentionality, but also the allowing, right, the flow. Um, and it's really hard to articulate this unless you experience it. Um, so I don't know. So hence why these conversations to, as a way to kind of tease out maybe some of the tactical things that people can try on and um, to to do this. Um, are there other 
tools or disciplines that you use? So actually, before I ask the question, Confucius said, I love this quote, I didn't appreciate it was younger, but I appreciate it so much more now that I'm older, a little bit, hopefully wiser. He said, self-mastery first, then family life, then country, then world. And if you want to ultimately have, make an impact to the world, where do you start? Self-mastery, right? So what are some of the processes, disciplines that you have to maintain your self-mastery? I I think first and foremost is a regular meditation practice. Mm. Uh, When you and I met, I was just coming to the end, or maybe I just completed 90 days where um, we would, I, I was a partner meditation and each morning we had, we would say our intentions and we had four intentions each. Um, so we would state our intentions and then we would drop into two different Kundalini meditations. Why four intentions out of curiosity? Um, is it an arbitrary number or is it an aspect of your life or what? No, I mean, it was an arbitrary number. One of our intentions oh, was, okay. um, it was we a shared intention for our relationship. I see. So that was really lovely, and then and then we really had three on our own. And for me, I would say one of my four intentions was around relationship. One of the four was around my career and the work I'm stepping into. Mm-hmm. And then the other two were around, one was around integrity, mm-hmm. and the other was around self-love and compassion. Mm-hmm. And um, they did shift somewhat as I moved deeper into the work I was doing. And, and the work around, the intention around my career became more act, action oriented um, as I was taking action. You know, it went from I will do this to I am doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would, start, we would start with the intentions. We would do the two Kundalini meditations, which were really lovely. Um, and then we would do a 10 minute silent. And this is every morning. Yeah, this was every morning. We would sit our intentions in the mirror, and uh, our second kundalini meditation included chanting and eye gazing. So we would sit across from each other. So that was really wonderful. It would, it really, uh, you know, strengthened our connection as a couple for sure. And um, just checking in with yourself, especially in the morning, really sets the tone of your day. Uh, you really move forward from the rest of your day making sure you're coming from a place where you're well aligned with yourself. Uh, I also journal regularly. I'm not disciplined where I, to the point where I wake up and say I'm going to meditate for this time period and journal for this time period and then work out for this time period, but I... Uh, I would do the meditation. I usually will journal either after meditation or I'll work out first and then meditate after. And for working out, um, I lift weights two to three days a week and I find that to be incredibly grounding. Um, A lot of men I know who have realized that when you tap into your emotions and tap into your intuition and the divine feminine can be a wonderful thing, but they have trouble kind of coming back from that. 
What do you mean? Um, they'll kind of stay in that feminine energy. Mm. So like many of us can be balanced. And with Me Too and, and a lot of um, what's been going on in the world, there are a lot of men I know where their partners are saying, I'd love it if you could be more open or be more in touch with your emotions. And, and they might not be defining it as stepping into the divine feminine, but that's exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And once you're there, it's, it's a great place to be, but you don't want to be there forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and for me, doing the kundalini in the morning, that's, for, for me, was a very much high vibrational kind of open practice for me. So I need something grounding to offset that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would either lift weights, you know, two to three times a week, or I'd get on the bike and go for like a hard bike ride and really push myself if I could. Um, while I'm in California, it's easy. I get on the mountain bike and being in nature and being in the mountains will really bring me to that place. I've also been considering a martial arts practice or Qigong. Um, and when I get back to New York, I think I'll be meeting with the Qigong instructor and, and moving more deeply into that work because um, what I've experienced, and I do this occasionally, is if you just move into certain Qigong poses, for instance, horse stance for just a few minutes, that'll really root you mm -hmm. right into that masculine. Um, and then I'll, so it's, it's the, the meditation, um, working out uh, usually in the morning, and then I'll usually journal as a part of reflection. And that's a, it's a, that's a great way to check in with yourself. Um, the meditation, I can feel into it, but while I'm journaling, I've, it's like I'm actually, it's concrete. So... Um, it's a different way of reflecting for me. It's an actual kind of concrete, objective way of reflecting of where I am at re relative to where I'd want to be. And then usually <clears throat> after that, it's um, either connecting with people or taking action in other ways in the mm -hmm. form of either reading or research or actually building, creating something. Mm -hmm. And every day for me has been different as I'm starting you know, this new project. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of my time more recently has been spent on research and, and reading. There's mm -hmm. a lot of books around coaching. Um, I've been directing some of my energy into more formal programs as well. Mm. So I've agreed to, you know, I'm, I'm seeing Esther Perel mm. do. She's doing a one-day workshop on masculinity that's geared toward coaches. Yeah, where is that? That's in New York in November. Mm. Uh, I've seen her speak on relationships. Yeah, she's awesome. She's great. She did but a TED talk, and she's been doing this for decades, right? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, her her area of focus has been, or she was popularized with her focus on sexual relationships. Oh, okay, and, right, right. Um, Jealousy and right things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think her most recent book is is centered more around in, infidelity and relationships. No, that's right, that's right, that's right. And prior to that, it, meeting in captivity was, that's right. was more focused on, you know, it, just the idea of open relationships in general. But she's mm. been doing a lot of work on masculinity. Um, mm. So I'm really I interested to see her do that. Um, I'm also attending um, a men's retreat in a couple of weeks that's... Um, for facilitators or, or coaches who are leading and the idea is 
um, to really hone the skills when it comes to holding space mm. for men as they're moving into deep emotions. A lot of the time, I, I host a weekly men's group, um, and it's not facilitated by any one individual. We, we work as a group to do that, but we'll see men move into places where they're in uncharted territory. You know, they're accessing anger, some other suppressed emotions um, from, from years before, and being able to handle that is incredibly important, mm -hmm. whether you're coaching, whether you're leading these groups. Um, so yeah. a lot of what that action-oriented piece of it is for me um, lately has been around education. Yeah. I mean, people allow you to enter an intimate space, right? And you, it's such a privilege. You don't want to handle that lightly, mm. right? When the energy, the anger, whatever that they've been holding comes out, you want to handle it with care. So I really appreciate how you're getting a different tools as a way to really handle such a privileged moment with care. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. I'll be interested in hearing more about the, the retreats at some point, so we'll talk afterwards. <clears throat> um, and there's a lot of ways we can go about it, but I think this is a perfect timing to do a little hoppy. What do you think? That'll work. Yeah? Okay, All great. Right. Um, so we'll pause and we'll do a little hoppy. Would you like to do it as a self-serving or you want me to serve you? Uh, if you could serve me, that would probably be easier. Okay, and we'll do not a lot, just a little. This friend who I had dinner with last night, um, who was on diet in Brazil for six months, he came back with some hape that he obtained from the tribe there. Same thing with the... Do you have any intention? Yeah, give me a moment. Okay. If, if you can either turn my way or... Yeah. That would be very, very helpful. And let me put this away. I'm ready. Did it go in? Yeah, did it go up? It did so not. It did, but uh, you want me to blow harder? Yeah, maybe a little harder. So you like the hummingbird style? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Thank you. Sure, of course. Should we do the same? Yeah. Second. Okay. Mm. And thanks for uh, participating in the hape and the samanga. Absolutely. <laughs> in the future, we may have different hape. I want to see. Mm. This is uh, really one of our first times trying it out in a <clears throat> podcast format. Wonderful. <laughs> You're the first one that said yes. I'll do it. Most of them were like, no, I don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's tough. Like. 
after we spoke, because you had shared with me that you do it daily, mm-hmm. and I, I was reflecting on it afterward. I was sharing this with my partner. I said, you know, the the idea of doing it prior to meditation each morning mm. could be wonderful. It could be grounding. And I have friends in New York who do it nightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, yeah, I, I get that. Just be careful with it, mm. because she she has some experience with plant medicine, and she knows some people who get a little carried away with hape. Because what happened? Is, what would happen? Well, it is, it is addictive. You know, it so is. people go from using, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, it's tobacco, right? So mm-hmm. people who move from a place where they're doing it once a day to four times a day. Ah, I see. Um, when I was down in, I was in Colombia recently, and I can't recall the name of it, but it's the powder that you put in your mouth. Yeah. And you kind of roll it into a ball and hold it. Yeah, like mouth. a pouch or something. Yeah. Um, and they were, we were working, we were, I was meeting with some people who um, are involved in the ayahuasca community mm-hmm. outside of Medellin. And I noticed that they were doing it pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. You know, you get done with dinner and they'd like very quietly tuck it into their mouth. So I'm very careful with everything I do. I try to keep everything to a certain limit. Yeah. So let's, just, let's actually talk about that for a little bit. Because <clears throat> like you, I'm very much the same way. And the thing that I get asked a lot is when I, especially like hape or even like psychedelics of any sort, people who are conscious or intentional about their life, right? They don't want any to be addicted to anything. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they're very, that's where I'm looking for, cautious, which is, of course, you know, these are powerful tools. They don't want to wield powerful tools lightly, right? And the last thing that I want is to have my centeredness being dependent on something, right? I don't want that. I don't want dependence on something. <clears throat> so for me, my perspective, I'm looking at it as a tool. And I'm cognizant about not being, quote unquote, addicted to anything. However, if I objectively look, look at my life, I do like to have a cup of coffee every day. Mm-hmm. And I, Am I addicted to that? I don't know, but I like it. It, it, it sharpens my mind, mm-hmm. my mentality in a very noticeable way. Coffee, no coffee, right? Um, I also like sugar. <laughs> and, and right now that's one of the things that I'm um, practicing to be really intentional about not having refined sugar. I mean, I will still have it, but I would, I'm very con- cognizant about my intake of sugar as well, because I don't want my physiology, physiology to be dependent on sugar. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so where's the line between using it as a tool and then depending on the tool to function? Mm-hmm. How do you find that line? How do you define that line? Yeah. <laughs> So, and then by the way, even like people like uh, Dave Asprey, Green, Ben Greenfield, Tim Ferriss, whoever, right? These like name, name, you know, note and household names, so to speak, in the personal development community, they use these tools freely as well. So, okay, meditation is another thing. Like, when when is it a tool? When is it? Oh, I gotta meditate. Mm-hmm. Whenever I have a problem, right? You know, so. 
So let's actually talk about that for a little bit. Where is the line? I'll, I'll say like in my experience, even prior to stepping into this newer journey, when mm -hmm. I was, you know, when I was still working in an office, I would go through periods where I'd cut sugar out completely. Mm -hmm. I'd go on a no sugar diet for two mm -hmm. months. Mm -hmm. And the results I see physically would be incredible. My mm -hmm. body fat would drop a few percentage points. And, you know, as I was lifting weights, um, I would see gains. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I could, I could feel it in my body. And what I try to be very careful of is when... It's just another form of when it starts to feel like another form of control. What does that mean? So if I'm on a complete no sugar diet and I'm incredibly strict with that mm. to the point where I don't indulge if I'm with a group of people and everybody's having dessert and right. enjoying it, mm. I'll, I'll hold back from doing that because mm. I'm... And sometimes that feels like, like a piece of... like. I'm trying to control myself in some yeah. way. And what I remind myself is there are all these different wonderful experiences in life, whether yeah. that is in the form of like a cold beer on a hot day sure. after a mountain bike ride sure. or a cup of coffee sure. in the morning or whatever it may be. I don't I try not to deprive myself of anything I want. Sure. But I try to try to I'm just very cognizant of what I'm doing. Sure. Um, so it's always a balance and what, what I find in my experience is that when if I identify with something that I feel oh this works like hape it's like well this if I do this every day mm. you know I can drop in I can be so much more focused and it seems great but then I, I say to myself well it's something like that where that has addictive properties mm. I'd have to limit it to once a day, and mm. I'd probably limit it to a certain time of the day. Mm. So I'm still unsure as to whether or not to fold that into my daily practice. Sure. But I see a lot of value in it. Mm -hmm. um, I just really monitor that. I'm yeah. very careful with it. Sugar is an interesting one because it's so accessible, and you really have to work to not have refined sugar in your diet mm -hmm. and when I don't have refined sugar in my diet I'll eat figs mm -hmm. or you know I'll always have that urge to consume sugar so I'll do certain things to 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 scratch that itch with you know something natural mm -hmm. but at the same time if you're eating honey regularly or mm -hmm. whatever else it's really not that much different from a table a teaspoon of sugar in your coffee if right. you're pouring honey into your coffee right the justification is oh it's natural it's very you know we can trick ourselves you know yeah, we can yeah. say oh well you know it's manuka honey and it's good for you right, right? so I'll put a tablespoon of it in my coffee every morning <laughs> and that's a lot of sugar to be consuming on a regular basis yeah what helps for me is whether it be you know I, I usually sit with ayahuasca once a year and I, I usually clean my diet up in anticipation of that um, so I have an ayahuasca ceremony coming up. So, you know, I, 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 I haven't had refined sugar in, in, in some time. Like I've kind of cut back on that. And even when I have, I've had small amounts. I've had small amounts of caffeine. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. You know, I had some matcha yesterday. Mm -hmm. and, you know, there are certain things I'll allow myself because it, it, I can, my body is kind of craving it and I'm mm -hmm. not going to deprive it of something that it, that it wants. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that in preparation for plant medicine ceremonies, there's a lot of kind of cleaning up and clearing out. So you go into that experience very clear. And just by doing that once a year, it's a great opportunity to kind of check in and make sure nothing's getting out of hand. Yeah. Um, earlier this year, I, I had I did not drink coffee for the first three or four months of the year, mm. uh, and then we went to Europe, and I found myself drinking coffee more regularly, and I was taking L-theanine to to balance that, mm. and I found that combination was incredible mm -hmm. because you'd have the benefits of caffeine, you'd have the focus, but you wouldn't have the mm -hmm. crash and yep. the ups and downs. Like this Same is thing with butter. If you add like MCT oil or butter, like it tapers down the the crashing. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, I found that as I, especially being in Europe, it was so easy to drink coffee. Mm -hmm. two, it's part of the culture. Day. It's yeah. part of the culture. Mm -hmm. And I saw that it was getting somewhat out of hand. Mm. Uh, and it's tough when you when you adapt to that, and then you wake up in the morning and the coffee is right there, mm -hmm. you have it in your apartment or whatever mm -hmm. else, and you say, I'm going to hold off from that. Mm -hmm. So it just re it, it's like feeling that urge. As I feel that urge come up, I kind of sit with it, and I say, is this, is this necessary? Mm -hmm. You know, how helpful is it really going to be for me? Mm -hmm. um, and that helps me immensely. Another one is cacao. Mm. You know, what I've been doing, what I've been doing recently is rather than have a cup of coffee, um, I'll, I'll just have hot water with a small scoop of cacao and a small scoop of lion's mane mm. and uh, a little bit of honey. Mm. And um, Sounds delicious. It's, it's nice, yeah. right? And I, I find lion's mane to be incredibly beneficial mm -hmm. um, as a supplement. So, you know, with, with things like cacao, you have to really be careful. You can burn out your adrenals very easily if you're, if you're taking, you know, a big scoop of cacao. Oh, no morning. kidding. Is it similar yeah. to caffeine? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in many ways. Um, so it really depends on the situation. Yeah. You know, while I was at Burning Man, you know, it's a tougher environment. And I'd wake up and I would have coffee with lion's mane and cacao. <laughs> but it was a small amount, right? And I'd have it in the morning, I'd be like, okay, this is it. I'm going to mm. keep it to like this one cup. Mm. Um, so I, I don't necessarily believe in the idea that, you know, you should do no sugar or you mm. should do no caffeine. Or you, but um, I always check in with myself with anything that's addictive. Yeah. And, and I've spent a lot of time researching the science of addiction mm -hmm. around sugar in particular. Mm. Um, Speaking of that, by the way, <clears throat> that could be an interesting. Um, you mean the addiction expert, potentially? Oh, around those. Around the financial industry and all these other things, right? Because that's yeah. one of those things that's it's so it's so easily available, right? They want performance, you know. It, you tap into that, and you lose your center. Right. Oh yeah, when I, when I was in that environment, I would sit down and drink 24 ounces of coffee every morning. Right. I was on a trading desk, right. you know, it was like fuel right. you know, to get through those first few hours of the morning. And yeah. There were so many people I, I worked with, if it wasn't caffeine, it was food. 
Yep. You know, there would be like a big indulgence at lunch yep. after a hard morning on the trading desk, or it was alcohol at the end of the day, or it was sex. Yep. Um, and anytime you're doing something to take the place of actually feeling into yourself, anytime you're doing something to distract yourself from, from your truth, um, that's where it can get a little out of hand and a little scary. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think any, any, I mean, whatever it may be, sex, alcohol, um, psychedelics, caffeine, cacao, right. oh, yeah. sugar, whatever it is, doing it with intention matters a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I don't drink much alcohol, but if I'm in a situation where somebody's celebrating, where there's a toast, or if I'm out to a, a nice dinner with a group of friends and they order a bottle of wine, I'm not going, I, I want to participate in that experience yeah. with the people I'm spending time with. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> yeah, I still don't have a very clear, I mean, there's a lot of way we can go from here, but regarding the, um, the line between using the tool versus being used by the tool, right? Addiction. Um, I like the awareness, like knowing the costs and the benefits, and then situationally choose conscientiously, intentionally to consume whatever the thing may be, whether it be alcohol, sugar, whatever. There were situations in my life, so Chinese culture is huge on food. and my mom is an amazing chef. That's her passion in life, right? She like gets into this, the science of it. She, every time she sees someone or tastes something cool, and then she will try to reverse engineer it. And that's her, that's her love in life. She's an amazing chef. And uh, there was a point in, uh, I was testing with it being a vegetarian. So we were refused the delicious food that she cooks for us because mm-hmm. we're vegetarian and and later on I realized that's a form of rejection of her currency of love mm. and she accepted it at the time but I'm sure it wasn't pleasant or makes people around us feel comfortable because we effectively had a hard line and say this is not us my wife and I right we said like no we won't eat it and then and <clears throat> thinking back um, it was unnecessary you know, at that point, especially that's her currency of love, as an example, right? Um, so, so definitely, I, 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 I like the idea of not suppressing our natural urges, whether it be sex or sugar or whatever it may be, because this is a beautiful life and this is one flavor of this, one color of this palette, of, you know, life that we can really enjoy and enhance our experience of being alive, right? But I'd also have huge respect for the people who have certain discipline that there is a line that they don't want to cross. For some people, it's alcohol. They mm-hmm. just don't drink. For some people, maybe I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Jocko Willink, right? This is all he does. Jocko Willink is the guy who wrote the book, uh, Discipline equals freedom, former um, SEAL commander, and all these, just, you know, a very 
he knows who he is and I wake up 5.30 or something and he takes a picture of his watch every day mm. and put it on Twitter. That, that's his Twitter feed. 4.30 every day. Every morning. Every morning. I mean, but that's a beautiful accountability structure that he created for himself and he will not relent from that mm -hmm. discipline. Um, so yeah, so I still am kind of grappling with it. Uh, there are certain things that if I realize if it's a non-negotiable for me, then there's a hard line and that's that. I don't have that in, a very, in the form of a 4.30 picture that I can post yet. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there's, there is a hard line somewhere, <clears throat> that the personal discipline that is. But with everything else I realize is I, if I you know, start to suppress myself, my natural urges, my body will find a way to one day, let's say <clears throat> in the form of uh, sugar, right? Tested that and then one day my body will just rebel and then, and then before I know it, I have a tub of ice cream in my hands mm. and it's finished. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you ever had that experience before where your body rebels, you're like, what are you doing? I want all the sugar I can get. <laughs> And it feels like it's beyond your control, right? Oh, right, right, right. It feels right. like you're, you're, it's like you're partaking in this activity that just doesn't feel, you know, it's not like you're not even thinking about it. It's like yeah. your conscious mind has no place there. Right. Um, I, I feel like that's the consequence of this repression. Mm -hmm. And not to make any um, social commentaries, but I will. Um, Humans' natural urges are well, sex, food, and all these other beautiful things that's given to us. And if you deprive that in a very intentional way, it's gonna come out. It's kind of like you put that beach ball in the ocean. The, the more you suppress, at some point, it's gonna like pop up, <laughs> pop up in unexpected ways. Yeah. Hence, all the scandal, maybe in you know, the Catholic Church and all these other like craziness that you know, we hear in the news. Um, anything else you want to say about that? Um, yeah, I think the, the only thing I, I'd say is, you, you mentioned, you know, waking up and posting like the 4.30 a.m. wake up on the Twitter feed every day. Like that's just another tool to keep one disciplined, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, and it worked for him. And it's working for him. From the outsider perspective, looking in, yeah. I think that when you feel you're coming closer to a point of mastery, mm. you'll recognize whatever that urge may be at a given time. Mm. And rather than act on it, mm. you, you give yourself a little bit of space and you say, why am I feeling this? Mm. You know, like in a, it, with sex, it's a great example. Like. There's so many guys I know who are like, oh, I really, you know, I really want to get out and I just really need to have sex right now. Um, and yeah, it's a natural urge, but asking yourself why, like, am I distracting myself from something? Mm. Is there something I'm, I'd rather not feel? So mm. I'm going to hit that tub of ice cream or I'm going to open that beer. Mm. You want that hit of dopamine or... Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and the same thing with social media, whatever else. Mm -hmm. is, it, is Am I doing this to distract myself from how I'm really feeling? Mm. And I, I find myself, 
I started practicing that a couple of years ago where I'd be like, wow, I really want, I really could go for some chocolate. Mm. And I'd be like, why do I want that? You know, and, and just whether you have the chocolate or not, you know, f fine, but asking yourself why can be incredibly valuable. Mm. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Thank you for that. I want to talk a little bit about communities. I'm a huge believer of that uh, we are the average, the five people we spend the most time with. Mm. So therefore, um, therefore, who is your spouse? <clears throat> who are uh, the men in your circle? It doesn't need to just be just men, but in, in my case, I found it to be, pers to be hugely important to have a circle of men, right? To be my counsel. Who are your closest friends? Um, so how do you select, right? Very, very important question. So how do you select these people in your life? I mean, the, the simple answer is who inspires you. Mm. Um, the process <clears throat> I've gone through recently, I've acknowledged that I, I mean, I'm calling in some male mentors. I, there are a lot of men in my life who I'm drawn to. Um, you know, my partner, she, she's got so much wisdom. And uh, I'm learning an incredible amount from her, and she's learning from me, and that's wonderful. And there are a lot of men who I would consider peers, who I spend a lot of time with, who are my brothers. Um, you know, I, I, I have a friend who I spent time with last night who um, has been studying uh, Tibetan Buddhism in, in depth. And, you know, we, we dropped in for an hour and a half last night, and it, I just felt there was so much wisdom coming out of that conversation. But... Um, what I've been focused on more recently is, is calling in more older, more experienced men who have greater life experience and spending more time with them where they're offering some of their energy to me in mm. the form of their wisdom, their experience, their advice, whatever it may be. Um, I realized that over the last several months I've been putting myself out there as I move into this new area of work but I've been connecting a lot with men who are my age or younger than me and um, it hasn't been serving me as well mm. as, as those connections with, with real mentors mm. and for a long time I was saying to myself well I need to find my mentor Mm. I need to find that person. Mm. But it's not a person. It's just for any given point in time. You know, there'll be, there'll be somebody who'll provide you the wisdom you need based mm. on whatever their area of expertise is. So I was at Shakti Fest last weekend, and, and, you know, there were some yogis I spent time with, you know, men who have been involved in this work for 50-plus years, mm. who have such depth of knowledge and wisdom and they're offering a perspective that's that's newer to me um do you define wisdom real quick what's wisdom for you the way i describe wisdom in this context what really 
what really hits me or inspires me is where you have somebody who has focused on some set of teachings, you know, whether it be, um, you know, through yoga, you know, through some kind of some some kind of practice like yoga or some kind of experience or way of living, I suppose you could say. And they're learning from it and then they're sharing what they've learned with the people around them. But they're doing it in such a way where they recognize that it's not something that they have ownership of. It's not something that they necessarily created. It's something they might be channeling Mm. or something they might be learning and sharing themselves. What tends to turn me off a bit more is where somebody says this is something that I'm doing or that I created. Mm. Um, because I, I acknowledge that, you know, even even for some of these men I encountered last, last weekend who have been immersed in yogic traditions for most of their lives, they're saying, hey, I'm a conduit to this realm of knowledge, this body of work. Um, and I'm trying to educate everyone around me because I believe the world will be a better place with this. Mm. Um, so for, for me, I really look out for incentives. What does that mean? It means that if somebody's <clears throat> motivated by making a name for themselves, by mm. being famous, by making money off of something, mm. um, I tend to be a little bit more careful than somebody who's teaching for the sake of teaching because they actually believe in what they're doing. And a lot of the time that will line up. Mm -hmm. And there is a place to be motivated by Mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. You know, like like if somebody were to say, what's your purpose? And you say, oh, it's to make money. Like a lot of, that doesn't feel good to a lot of people, but there's a time and place for that. And it can create some amazing things in the world. Some of the most amazing companies have been created by people who are motivated by fame and money. Sure. but if you see somebody who's attached to that, where they're staying in that place, mm. that's where I'm a little bit more careful. Mm. Whereas if there's... So how do you discern, though? Like, if this mm. person's motivated by getting more numbers in their bank account versus sharing it from the pure way. Yes, they may overlap, so it's hard to unpack that. Just really see where they're coming from. Yeah, it's hard to... I wish I could say, like, this is how to identify that. Sure, sure, sure. For me, it's really feeling into it. And for me, it's it's feeling whether it's their ego at work mm. for them or for everyone else. Mm. You know, I was, I was in this um, workshop last weekend, and there was a, it was a workshop called The Way of the Superior Man Workshop. Oh, you were there. It, well, it was at, at Bhakti. Oh, okay, yes. cool. So um, the David Data. Yeah, the the workshop was based off of Data's work. Okay. Um, I wasn't in David Data's workshop. Okay. But um, there is a younger yogi teaching that workshop. Okay. The guy was probably ten years younger than me. Okay. And he really walked in, and he took Data's teachings and created this workshop around it and then added a few tools that he uses on his own Mm. that were very much focused on support by the people in the room and 
moving into you know some of our uncomfortable feelings as men and forgiving ourselves for our self-judgments and criticisms um, and it was very clear to me that he cared more than anything about leaving people with this knowledge or this approach you know for people who are completely new to data's work they're seeing something new but he he kind of said this is what i'm offering and he kind of left it there and he didn't claim any of it as his you know it, it resonated with him and had an impact on his life so he took some of this wisdom kind of tweaked it so that it fit some of the other constructs he had in place and then shared it with all of us and then kind of like left it there and walked away. Um, and it was just clear to me that his primary motivation was just sharing this, this wealth of knowledge and wisdom with the people mm -hmm. around him. Um, I've, I've encountered some people doing work on masculinity who are focused on writing a book or making a name for themselves in this work. And, you know, it's not a business that can be scaled really. Mm. And it should, it doesn't even, it doesn't really make a great business. Mm -hmm. You know, encouraging men to be more in touch with their divine feminine is there's not really a great business model you can create around that. Mm. Um, So for, for me, it's really about, you know, kind of driving us all to, to a, great, a place of kind of heightened awareness in ourselves and the people around us. Um, because I think as we collectively move toward that, we're creating a lot more love in the world. We're creating a lot more healing in the world. Thank you. People that you respect. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could articulate it in more detail. But it's this idea of surrendering, mm. of surrendering to the work you're doing, mm. and not making it about you, but being a conduit to that work. Mm. And whether you're channeling that from above or from someone who's teaching you or from your own education around it, it's not being attached to it mm. and not defining yourself by it, but just sharing it with the rest of the world so that we can all be more educated, more conscious of it. And as I mentioned this, I'm thinking very much about some of the work about men moving into the divine feminine because I think that's incredibly important right now. Um, but it, it goes for many modalities. You know, a lot of people would say the same about many different aspects of yoga. What about, the, so we just talked about teachers. What about the men that you keep in your life? Who gets to, what are the criteria you use for the people that, are, that, get, that got into your inner circle? 
so if I feel that I walk away from a conversation mm. where I've learned something, where it's rich, mm. where I have something that I can take with me and reflect on, that keeps my mind open and keeps me hungry for new ideas, I'll go back and have another meeting with that person. I'll have another dinner or another coffee or I'll sit down and drop in with them again. Um, and for me, a lot of that is energy. Mm. You know, feeling that they're offering that energy to me. Uh, I try to be very careful of situations where I feel that I'm putting a lot of energy out and not getting much back. Mm. You know, and I can have an incredibly rich conversation with somebody who's seeking guidance from me. Mm. Um, but I feel like I'm depleted of my energy over time if I yeah. have a number of those conversations. Mm. So I think what helps me grow as a person is particularly as, I, as I'm meeting people with more life experience mm. or whatever it may be, it's, it's finding ways to share my energy with them. Mm. You know, there's, there's some people I've encountered who I describe as wise, you know, men who might be 10 years older than me or 20 years older than me, where they'll share their wisdom and I'll just sit and listen and listen and listen. But if I can't find a way to challenge them mm. or have them ask themselves some of the harder questions, I feel like there's not a balanced exchange. Mm -hmm. And that's what helps me grow as a person. If I'm in a situation with someone where I'm providing that guidance to them and they're not challenging me in the same way, mm -hmm. I walk away feeling somewhat depleted or, or mm -hmm. you know, I feel depleted of that energy and I feel like I, I haven't had that rich experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that by kind of, you know, for me having moved back to New York just over a year ago and entered a new community of new people. There are some people I've, been, I've met who I've been in touch with who I think just have such depth of wisdom mm. where I keep coming back to them and dropping into them. And we acknowledge the fact that our time is valuable. So the 60 minutes or 90 minutes we spend together, it's just like we, we can go so deep and have such rich conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the people I keep coming back to. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't have any, any hard criteria necessarily, but if, if, I'm, if I'm challenged to look at anything I believe in with a fresh perspective or a mm -hmm. new perspective, um, those are the type of people I like to have around. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you seek out people who disagree with you, your point of view in the world? As in, <clears throat> so let me ask it, let me kind of preface the question a little bit. More and more we see, especially through Facebook, social media, and other things, <clears throat> because of the algorithms, we are now seeing people basically who agree with us more and more, right? right. And from that perspective, our opinions are more and more polarized. And for us to reach any kind of mutual understanding, or even for any new ideas to arise, we need to look at this maybe the same thing from people who disagree with us. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a lot of advice to, for us to uh, look at people 
who disagree with us for the different political beliefs or whatever it may be and just look at it from their point of view and then see if we can merge right come to a mutual understanding in some way <clears throat> that's something intellectually I understand and I appreciate but I don't personally practice I don't actively spend the time to seek out people who disagree with my point of view as an example mm. right so I was curious to know when you say you wanted to look at people's uh, point of view who challenge your current ideas do you actively seek them out I think what I value in people uh-huh. is that they maintain their integrity mm-hmm. and at all costs they're always coming from their place of full mm-hmm. integrity mm-hmm. and usually when you're connected to people who who tend to operate that way mm-hmm. they won't agree with you <laughs> on everything right? okay um, the people I keep coming back to they kind of acknowledge this is who I am and this is who I believe in and they have a willingness to adapt and change mm-hmm. but they're not going to agree for the sake of agreeing mm. um, and uh, you know the idea of you mentioned social media you know I, I could go out and find validation for what I believe in so easily right mm-hmm. it's at my fingertips I, I stay off of social media for that's one of the major reasons because it can narrow your thinking mm-hmm. so I, I as you as you asked your question I think about some of my close friends who are, are very different from me um, when I think about my inner circle I mentioned this friend of mine who who's you know studying Buddhism and, and he's just very calm and at ease I have another friend who's in more calm and at ease than you yes oh wow absolutely amazing I'm learning an incredible amount from him amazing because you're pretty calm already I've I've gotten that a lot recently yeah yeah and I feel that but I know that there are places to move deeper into that Mm. but I have another friend who's playful in nature Mm. and he likes to offend people and he likes to kind of knock people out, off balance and, and screw around with people and joke with them and, tr- and kind of like, you know, prod and poke at them um, to evoke a reaction. And, he, you know, he believes in what he believes in. And he and, he and I definitely do not line up. Mm. But I respect his points of view. Mm. And he brings out a side of me that you know, is, is incredibly important. It's kind of this more light, this lightness, this playfulness, mm. you know, it's something that I need to, to reattach to. Um, it would be way more boring if I was hanging out with people who are like-minded all the time. <laughs> you know, it's, what's the fun in that? You know, the same, the same goes for my partner. You know, she, she constantly challenges me. And I do the same with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all in the interest of you know, becoming more knowledgeable and more educated. And, you, know, f- you know, a lot of the things that we joke about, like she has an incredibly clean diet. She takes very good care of herself mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, I like to let myself, like there are things I like to indulge in, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. 
and she gives me the room and space for that but she's always kind of you know she'll point out like you know this contains palm oil <laughs> you know that peanut butter you're eating that has palm oil in it <laughs> you know, if you go buy this peanut butter, it has sunflower oil. It'd be mm. much better for you. Right. But she'll, you know, she'll do it in a very graceful, loving way. That's beautiful. That's see, that's in my mind a healthy feminine. Yeah. Right. Because then an unhealthy expression of that is nagging. And a yeah. healthy expression of that is, hey, here's some suggestions. Have you thought about? From my point of view, right. Yeah, for her, she she's really careful about it. You yeah. know, like she she's very disciplined, mm. uh, but she's very careful. She would she would never want to feel like she's imposing, mm. and I've never felt that way with her. Mm. And we keep it light. Yeah, you know, we joke about it. Yeah, you know, I'll say, hey, do I have permission to eat this? And she'll oh, say, well, no. I, she's like, I never I never believe that. I'm yeah. like, I know you don't. Oh, I don't. That's great. That's great. Um, but it's part of our dance. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I realized in, in, before is uh, in my mind, in, in my dating history, <clears throat> I didn't know this until recently that I, I wanted a relationship with no conflict. But then after being married, then I realized like, actually, conflict is good mm. or disagreement is good. And disagreement in a graceful way is even better. Mm-hmm. Right, because ultimately disagreement is what makes us come, you know, learn new things, right? To for help us grow, to challenge us in different ways. Here's Buddha. Hey, Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> Buddha is very, very friendly. He wants to say hi. Ooh, hey, Buddha. <laughs> All right, calm down, Buddha. <laughs> Buddha is attacking. Buddha is attacking. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, that's Buddha. Maybe you just kind of like masculine, wait, calm him down. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. There we go. All right. There we go. Um, thank you for that. I kind of lost my train of thought now that Buddha's here. Um, yeah, man. So, yeah, conflict is good. Right. Yeah. Resolving conflict in a healthy way to keep it light. You ultimately learn that where um, everything is a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's an important thing to have. Cool. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot, actually, especially coming out of Burning Man. Mm. This was my first experience at Burning Man with a partner. Mm. And... Our triggers, our conflicts, all rose to the surface over mm-hmm. the course of our nine days there. Right. And Bernie Man is life compressed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, you know, there's another couple I know, and this is their second burn together this year, and they had conflict as well. Um, and when they both arrived home. I think they had some, some deeper conflict than my partner and I had for her, her and I was mostly surface stuff, but we came out of the burn saying, Hey, this came up, that came up, like, here are some things we can now work on. Mm-hmm. These are all opportunities for growth. Yeah. Um, and for this other couple, I know they both, um, wrote some social media posts mm-hmm. saying, you know, I was triggered in this way, I was triggered in that way, but you know, it's all an opportunity for growth. While I was at Burning Man, I saw Layla Martin speak 
and she's um, she's a I guess you could say a relationship expert okay um, and she spoke with her partner um, a play alchemist actually and what they had, part of what they had said in their in their talk was that if you have a partner that triggers you mm. there's so much value in that absolutely there's so much value in in you know having them show you a side of yourself that you might prefer not to see mm. and at Bhakti, while I was there, there was some discussion of similar idea, but you know, seeing the ways in which you are unloved, in which you don't feel loved. And the fact that my partner, that she stands so firmly in who she is, mm-hmm. carries so much integrity and groundedness in it, you know, and I'm similar. We're not conforming to each other, mm-hmm. you know, and to the extent something comes up, we'll challenge each other. Why? Where's this coming from, really? You know, yeah, I can feel this resistance from you. Where's this coming from, or whatever it may be? And those are all wonderful, beautiful opportunities for growth. Mm. You know, I, you, a lot of people talk about conscious relationships and the importance of being vulnerable in a relationship. And for me, a long time, that meant being like, here, here are my emotions. Right. Showing up and saying, I'm feeling sad. That's mm. being vulnerable. But what I think vulnerability, vulnerability really means in a relationship is showing up and saying, here are my triggers. Mm. You know, and you might not know them, but you know, I've been in situations with partners where something has been said and next thing I know I'm really upset and caught off guard and all these emotions are pouring out. And it's in those moments that you try not you, you try to do what you can to extend that space between action and reaction and feel into where it's all coming from. And if your partner can hold the space for that and you can and you have the awareness of it at that time, you might recognize something in yourself or an area where you've been wounded or where there's been some trauma, where there's an opportunity for growth. Mm. So I'm incredibly happy that I'm in a relationship where not only will she stand firm in her beliefs, which are challenging to me, which could lead to my being triggered, mm. but that we also put ourselves into situations like going to Burning Man together, mm. where um, we know that there's a much higher likelihood of being triggered. Mm. Because as all of that comes up, then you can really sit back and reflect on where it's coming from and be like, oh, this is baggage that I carried from my relationship two years ago, or oh, this, this is all coming from my relationship with my mother or, mm. or whatever it may be or, or something that happened to me. You guys do that instantaneously, five minutes later, a day later, two weeks later. Like, is there... So, yeah. It varies. I mean, if I was if I was a perfectly evolved individual, I'd recognize that in the even moment. before you have it. Yeah, or before it happens, <laughs> I know all my triggers, right? But like one example I can give is, you know, she and I, when we had been dating for about three months, we got into a conversation, and you know, we we both kind of triggered each other, and. I had this, I could feel just energetically, like she was pulling back from me a little bit. Mm. And for me, that was incredibly upsetting, way Mm. more upsetting than it logically should have been. And um, 
I had this feel like this this abandonment issue come up Mm. this feeling that she was going to abandon me that she was going to leave me and it was nothing more than a feeling and I couldn't explain it but I felt awful Mm. I felt really awful and it took me like 48 hours and I I remember I I said I need some time to myself and I, I spent some time at home and I had a day where I just meditated on that and it and after like 24, 48 hours, I realized that it was related to a relationship that had ended a couple years ago. It had nothing to do with her at all. Mm. But I, I like at the, in the moment, I had this inclination to project it all onto her. Mm. And I did that a little bit and she felt it and it didn't feel good to her, but I was able to say, hey, I need the time and space to to work through this. Mm. And in the subsequent few days, once I acknowledged and recognized that it it, it was attached to this prior relationship, which was traumatic for me, Mm. I was able to move into a deeper place of meditation and really access my kind of inner child Mm. or the version of myself from two years ago who had been there and who had absorbed all of this trauma. And I let him know that it was okay. I let him know that it was all right, that this happened to you. Mm. Um, and I, I went back to him. I said, listen, like this should have been such a clear trigger. It was my most recent relationship prior to meeting you. Mm. And yet it took me some time to see that mm. because I wanted so badly to believe that I was just fine mm. when I entered the relationship with her. Mm. I wanted so badly to believe that that trigger didn't exist because I'm evolved. Right. You know, but, but that's just my ego at work. Mm. That was just my ego at work saying, no, I'm good. Everything's great. You know, but that baggage was there. Yeah. And now that I, I acknowledge that and shared it with her and she understood mm. and she said that feels as, and once I got into it and shared to her everything, shared with her everything that had happened in that prior relationship, she said that feels so raw mm. and she just sat with it and held the space for that and we moved forward mm. and it was an incredible learning experience for both of us and we didn't let it get to the point where things got ugly, but it was because we gave ourselves the time and space to process it. We found this kind of, this hidden trigger that was massive, that was just kind of looming the entire time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> I think that uh, illustrates a point of some, some, some men may, who may or may not be um, involved with like, men's work, as an example me ask the what's the value of doing all this self-reflection and moving to feminine space or whatever you call it you know so much time so much work like what's the point i think this illustrates one data point uh, why it's important to do this is there anything else you want to say about you know to how would you respond to someone asking that question what's the point of doing all this men's work oh really i want yourself exploring the past I'm moved on I want to just look forward I mean if you're if you're suppressing your emotions and your desires they'll come back they'll come back to haunt you at some point sooner or later 
Um, I spent 10 years of my life waking up, slamming my 24-ounce coffee, you know, consuming a lot of alcohol, doing other drugs, all these other things to kind of numb myself to certain things about myself that I didn't want to see, you know, and, and there's so many suppressed emotions that had been locked away and compartmentalized. I was trained, we were trained in that world, you know, to compartmentalize. I remember being told in a review while I was working on Wall Street that you need to compartmentalize better. You know, you're too emotional. Mm. You know, you're too happy when things work out well, when your trade works out. You're too neg hard on yourself when it doesn't. And um, it took me years to release a lot of those, you know, so many different emotions, sadness, anger, whatever else it may be. And I feel so much more clear now. And what, it's, what that work has enabled me to do not only to recognize kind of the emotion behind the emotion, you know, like if you're angry with somebody, there's probably something beneath that that you're masking, and it's usually fear. But to make decisions in my life from my heart, from a place of my own intuition, because the more in touch you are with how you feel, the more ease with which you can direct your life and direct your work coming from that, that place. And, and, and as you're aligned, as you're, as you're moving toward your destiny, mm. then you can bring that masculine energy in to push you there. Mm. So with the men's work, it's really, you know, a lot of people don't say this, but I describe it as moving into the divine feminine. Mm. What a lot of men say is, oh, we're moving into it, we're feeling into our emotions. But it's really moving to that place on the spectrum and to be able to sit in a room with other men to access the divine feminine mm. you know it, it sets a container well there's support there's validation you know there's a safe space for that mm. and then you can move back into your masculine mm. you know like my my partner like she acknowledges the balance that i have in those energies but i can't be in my feminine with her all the time mm. You know, it's, it'll throw off our polarity. She's got so much femi feminine energy. Mm. So I'm a, I can be a very masculine person, and, and she likes the fact that I can move into my feminine, but she doesn't want me to live there mm. when I'm in her presence. Mm. So with the men's work, I have a space for that, mm. an incredibly safe space where I have some brothers who I trust and love who, mm. who are there to listen and, and who I'm there to hold space for. Um, so that's where I think a lot of that value is, for me at least, thus far. Thank you for sharing. And for those of you listening, if you're hearing licking, Buddha is showering um, Peter with his <laughs> currency of love by licking <laughs> Peter old. Place. Um, yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, emotion is energy motion. Mm. And by suppressing that energy or pretending, I, I'll use myself as an example. You know, I was raised by Confucius' uh, philosophy, so you know, we, essentially Confucius is very much a Stoic. Mm -hmm. And my interpretation of the word Stoicism is suppression. Mm. Men have no emotions. Be as stone as possible. That's my interpretation of that word. And so what I'll do is I'll suppress it, much like the beach ball analogy that I gave earlier, I would keep suppressing it, it would just pop up out of nowhere like some tiny little thing like boom the whole like the dam will open and then 
and I didn't I wouldn't know what to do with it where people around me wouldn't know what to do with it <laughs> and what I realized these days <clears throat> life is very much if I use the river and the banks analogy right <clears throat> my masculine is the banks and the river and that would ch- allow me to channel this energy motion through it and if I don't um, have a very strong discipline the energy is flowing all over the place right that's not helping me to be as purposeful intentionally in my life as I want it to be but if I also pretend that I have no energy uh, if I ignore the feminine side of me right the, the, the aliveness the energy the flow the creativity then it stops mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not good either because ultimately as an entrepreneur or someone who want to do things in the world I want to be able to channel the masculine and the feminine in such a way that in towards the direction, the North Star, the purpose of my life. That's ultimately, to me, a healthy balance, harmonize of the masculine and the feminine. Yeah, I love that analogy. Yeah, thank you. Um, cool, man. This is being extremely helpful. Thank you, Peter, That's so great. much. Um, <laughs> so, are there... What, what, um, do you have like a website or what, where can people find out more about the work that you do? So as for right now, I don't have a website. Okay. And I've intentionally, it was funny when I sat down and, and, and first started looking into this, I said, I'll make a website, I'll, I'll shine it up, I'll make it really nice and pretty, I'll spend some money to market. And I, uh, I have not created one yet. And, and that's just because I've been iterating sure. on what I'm actually offering. Sure. I have a feeling the website will come okay. um, very soon and uh, Peter Hughes Coaching. Okay, well, so if they, you have that domain own. already. I didn't buy it yet, but I'm going to. Oh, you're going to, okay, yeah. good. I would have loved peterhughes.com, but that's a diving company based in uh, the Caribbean. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, so Peter Hughes Coaching is the URL that I'm buying. and. Um, okay. I have a feeling that it'll be up within the next few months. Okay, yeah, great. I, I, I try to be careful because I don't want to create a website just for the sake of grounding. Sure, <laughs> of course, I get that it. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you listening, if you're interested in what Peter's doing, uh, Google Peter Hughes Coaching. Um, do you have, if there's one piece of advice, one discipline, one mantra that for any any man listening what would you would you recommend them to do I think that we live in a society where men have been programmed to live a certain way and we're attached to these ideas of what masculinity is and I would encourage particularly for men who are just stepping into this work men to challenge that and to explore the idea of tapping into that intuition and tapping into that divine feminine and surrendering I think for, and I admit, this has been a theme in this discussion, you know, this idea of going out and getting what you want. 
you know, being rewarded for that, going out and getting the job or getting the girl or getting funding or whatever it may be. And if I could sum it up in one word, it would just be listen. Listen to what the universe is offering you. Listen to what your body is telling you. Listen to what your emotions are telling you and just stop and listen. And if you do that and you follow that, your life can be so much easier. Mm. And so much more joyful. (laughs) I love that. Otherwise, what's the point of living? So many, so many people don't ask themselves that, you know? They just, you work so hard and live a miserable life. Oh, great. I mean, the, the whole thing that set me on my journey was this realization that I, like, had achieved everything I wanted. You know, like, I had, by the, all the measures of success that I had set for myself, be it financially or, or what I was doing career-wise or the apartment I was living in, everything was exactly what I had ever wanted and I found myself kind of like at the summit being like this is this isn't that much different I'm not happier here Mm. Um, it took me it took me like nine months after I quit my job before I stopped going after things and just let let the universe direct me Mm. it was at that time that all the real change began and I've, and since then I've, I mean, the things that have happened to me, like the, the, the relationship I've stepped into, the way I've been able to connect with people, the richness of the experiences I've had, mm. like everything is heightened, everything is higher vibrational, mm. but it's, I, I took, I convinced my ego to just take a little breather and, you know, I'll let him out of the cage when he needs to and mm. if I don't let him out often enough he'll start rattling the bars mm-hmm. but you know letting that letting the world direct me letting the universe direct me it's been it's been beautiful I wish you a beautiful journey continued journey <laughs> thank you so much for being here Peter thank you alright my friend thank you so much